Welcome to everybody who's online. We're glad that you guys are able to join us. Uh, this message is actually a follow-up message. <laughs> I had like five people come up to me. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm, I'm already laughing on the inside. Sorry. <laughs> I had five people come up to me today and go, hey, last time you were here and spoke, you said that you were going to be back if you did a good job, but then you weren't back. <laughs> <laughs> This is part two. I got in quarantine, so Jesse actually stepped up and spoke for me then. Um, But this is actually part two of a message that I I started back in November of last year. Uh, All the way back, if you guys remember back to November. Nova is what the kids are calling it these days. Nova, no, okay. Um. (laughs) And and that message, so I'll, I'll just recap it so that way we can go to the places that we need to go to today. But that message was talking about how the heart is the transformation center of the life. Right? For, how many were here for that message? Awesome. A few of you. If you go back November 1st, go look up the, the message on YouTube, you can find it. Um, so briefly, to recap that message, we were talking about Proverbs 4.23 of guarding your heart above all else, for from it flow the issues of life. And we broke down that word love there. It's the, the Hebrew word lab, which is broken down into three different areas that is kind of the anatomy of the heart, the spiritual anatomy of the heart. Some people would say that this is the soul. And it's the mind, the will, and the emotions, or the thoughts, the feelings, and the desires. And last time in that message, I, I kind of broke down two of those areas and said, for our mind, we renew our mind, like Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We renew our mind by meditating on scripture and, and reciting scripture over ourselves and confessing scripture over ourselves, right? And there's the, the mental renewal that happens as we just think on scripture, Right? And then there's the emotions and the feelings. And we talked about how our emotions uh, are a great check engine light for our life. And that if I allow them to be a great check engine light and bring those things before the Lord and go, okay, you do the renovation work on my heart, then it, it works well for us. If I allow my emotions to be the engine, then I drive into that wall really quick. Right? So those are the first two areas, the, the thoughts and the feelings, which leads to the third area, which is what we're going to go over tonight. And that's the will, or I would say the desire. And oftentimes when we think of will, we think of action and movement, right? Which is, is true, and that's part of it, but underlying uh, the will is actually desires that cause those actions, that cause the movement, right? When we talk about the will of God, we're talking about the desires of God's heart for us to move in a specific way. And there's this desiring core of our heart, which is really, I would say, is actually the base in which all the other pieces of the heart really rest on. Because we see it in scripture to where we can have a a good thought process, but a misaligned heart, and actually be warring against ourselves. Right? When Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, who were the teachers of the law, they had this stuff ingrained in their mind. They can, they can quote scriptures all day long, and he says, you search these scriptures because you think in them is life, but it's they that point to me, and you won't even come to me. 
So they had, a, they had a specific narrative, a specific story that they bought into of what the Christ, the Messiah, was going to look like. And because they were moving in a different direction with their heart, even though they had all of the, the law and the prophets, the Lord showed up. <laughs> all right. What was I saying? And the Lord showed up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so they were the teachers of the law, and, and because they had this, this misdirected guidance of their heart, they were moving in a poor direction. They had all the, the law and the prophets, which were all pointing towards Jesus, and yet they were still warring with that, and they missed the Christ himself when he was right in front of him. Right? I want to step back a second, so I, I know I said the, the thing about the will there for a second. Some of you guys might go, okay, so let's still like kind of define the will. James 1, 14 through 15 talks about, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And we start to see where the, the desires of our heart are actually moving the directions of our life. To where our, our will in what we're going to do, what I will do or what I won't do, is actually rooted within a narrative that we have bought into, is what we're going to talk about tonight. Rooted in a story that we have found ourselves in. Rooted in the desires of our heart to where I can have all the right things in my mind, but if my heart's still misaligned and bought into a different narrative... I'm moving in the wrong direction. And, and when, what we're talking about tonight and what we started in the last message uh, was the transformation of the heart, the transformation of the life, discipleship, spiritual formation, whatever we want to call it, the sanctification process, all of these different aspects. And I just think it's so beneficial to start kind of dissecting the heart and seeing what things start transforming different areas of the heart. And like I said, the mind is renewed by, by putting scripture in it. But the interesting thing is I, I don't have like three scriptures that we're just going to dive into tonight and do like a deep dive on this is how, this is how you, you renew your will. In fact, it's, it's actually more this entire message is pointing to the entirety of scripture in understanding that it's the entire thing that does the, the transformation of the desires. And, and I'll give you my, my message in a nutshell is that when we find ourselves just drawn into, when we talk about desire, it's not something I can muster up. Desire comes from being drawn. When I'm drawn into the story of Scripture, we would call it a biblical worldview, the story of Christ, the Christ-shaped narrative, the gospel, all sorts of different ways that we can label it. But when my life is drawn into the story of Scripture, my desires are being transformed. And I'm going to break that down tonight. So we impact this area of our heart, the desire, not through reason and truth, that transforms the mind, but through story and beauty. Through story and beauty. So tonight I want to talk about how worship, and more specifically story and narrative, play heavily into this transformation process of the heart. 
We should have a slide out there uh, that talks about the different percentages of the Bible. When we look at the literary breakdown of Scripture, there's narrative, which is actually 43%, right? The stories of Scripture. This is God's story with humanity. This is the story of all creation, all history. It's God's story. But then in the midst of that story, we see all these individual stories that are building up to this grand narrative. It's beautiful. It's almost half the Bible is actually story. And then next is 33% is psalms, songs, and poetry. Which, when you look at songs and poetry, is actually re-embodied narrative. It's taking, when you look through the Psalms, I love the Psalms so much, and David was, was really just, when we, when we see in John 1, where Jesus is the word of God made flesh, I, I just love this aspect where David had meditated on scripture so much that the word of God had become flesh in him, too. To where, in, in the sense of, when he wrote the Psalms, the story of creation just came out. When he wrote the Psalms, you could just see over and over and over the story of Israel, the story of God, the story of, God, the story of a, a redeemer, the story of all these different aspects that point to the grand narrative of God because David was somebody who, it says in Psalm 16, set the Lord before him all the days of his life. Remeditated on scripture in such a way that not just to find the right things to do or the things not to do, but to be just enraptured by the story of it all. C.S. Lewis says that stories steal past the watchful dragons of the mind. They engage the imagination and draw the heart. Absolutely love that. The watchful dragons of the mind. Stories just cut around that and go straight to the heart. And it's so true that there's been multiple times to where I'm reading through the Psalms and I just start tearing up and crying. And it's not even a Psalm that was necessarily speaking something to me. It's just doing the work on the inside of me because these stories, these Psalms, and these poetry just have a way of shaping and transforming the desires of our heart. God, I don't even know what this is, but oh man, do I desire it. When I, I, I've been going through, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I'm typically more parked in the New Testament, so this year I was like, man, okay, this, has been, this message has been burning on my heart for a while, so I really need to go back through the entire narrative and just be recaptured by the entire narrative. And I've just been going through the Old Testament, and you get to all these wars, and you get to the, the deaths and all these different things, and I'm just feeling this stuff rise up inside of me that just makes me, as I'm reading it, long for a Savior who could put all this to rest. And all of a sudden, my desires are being transformed on the inside of me. It's so good. I'm also not saying that, that the mind is not important, right? We talked about that last time. And 24% of Scripture is discourse or reason and argument. So all of that comes together. And the reason and argument finds its place within the story. But if we only go in for reason and argument, and if I only go in to get my daily vitamins of a verse or two... I'm not actually capturing my heart. And I might be renewing my mind, but my heart still might be moving in a worldly direction. Right? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
We are all living towards a specific goal. Sometimes we're conscious about that goal. Other times, more often, it's unconscious. And the point I want to give tonight is that our goal is found and shaped in the story and narrative that we have bought into. I could say it this way. Desire is linked to an object, right? When I desire something, there is an end goal in mind. And that object is found within the story that I'm living in. Right? And, and sometimes there's micro stories. If I'm hungry, that's a different story. My object is going to be for steak, uh, typically, or a good burger. I did Red Robin with my brother and dad yesterday, and it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I got the bonsai burger. I highly recommend it. But it completely blew my calorie goal out of the, <laughs> out of the water. I said, today's a cheat day. Say this with me. Stories can form us. Okay. I'm going to skip over some of this. I want to say that often you'll hear this language a lot throughout Paul's letters to where it's this formation language. And I used the terminology spiritual formation earlier. And I just love the formation language that Paul's using. And he talks about for us to be conformed. We read it earlier to be transformed, right? How are people going to know unless we go and inform them? And there's all this formational language that's happening to where God's taking his creation, his broken creation, and he's reforming it back into the beauty of things. But then there's also malformation that happens within our life. And, and specifically why I bring this up is to say that there's no neutral gear in our life. Our souls are always being formed or malformed at any given moment. When I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching Netflix, there's a formational work going on in the inside of my heart. This is important for us to realize. The songs that I listen to, they're either forming me or malforming me, moving me towards or moving away from the gospel narrative, from the gospel story. And it's so crucial, right? And in teaching with the discipleship class so many times every year, uh, we get onto the, the topic of, well, what do you think about uh, horror movies and different things like that? Do you think as a Christian we can be watching those? I think can be and should be are two different questions because we need to understand that those movies, as unaffected as we may feel, are actually really affecting us deep down inside. There, oh, thank you, I am. There's no neutral gear in life. We should have a slide for this, but our souls are always being shaped or formed towards a particular love or desire. And then that love then forms the direction of our life. Our souls are always being shaped or formed towards a particular desire, and that love forms the direction of our life. And this will hopefully frame the rest of the message tonight. Pastor Duane, on, on, uh, this month has been going through a, a series on the laws of faith, right? An amazing series, super appreciative of it. I want to introduce another spiritual law tonight called the law of worship. The law of worship. We are worshiping creatures, and we cannot help but to worship. And here's the thing. goes back to that formation language. Something super important for us to realize is when we worship, worship is not something that we simply do, but it is also something that is doing something in us and to us. When I'm worshiping, 
Whatever I am worshiping, and I say it that way very specifically, whatever I am worshiping is then forming me, doing something on the inside of me, and it's doing a work on the inside of our life. So the law of worship is this. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. When I equate worship to solely the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, I'm missing the fact of worship altogether. Like, that's amazing. We need to be together in corporate worship. We need to be raising up praises to God. We need to be singing just the truths of Scripture. And really, if worship is done right and worship songs are written well, it's actually the story of God that we are then stepping back into, right? Reimagining the story of God through worship together as a collective community, and then that's doing something on the inside of us. But if I think that it's solely stuck to Sunday mornings or whenever I'm in church, worship isn't something that solely happens at church, and worship isn't something that solely happens with music. To worship is to give worth towards something, And we do this on the subconscious level just as much as the conscious level. And actually, worship is more habitual than we might actually realize. The rhythms of my life are actually pointing my heart towards something. And when it's pointed towards that something, I am growing to long for that thing. And as I'm longing for that thing, I'm giving worth over to that thing. And then in return, that thing is doing something on the inside of me. So the law of worship is a two-sided law to where when I'm rightly worshiping God, his Holy Spirit comes in and does a work on the inside of me. And it's absolutely beautiful. But then we also live in a fallen world and we have false gods, we have false narratives, we have all these different things. And there's a a common poem that David runs through in the Psalms on a couple of occasions. There's Psalm 115 and then Psalm 135 to where he starts saying this, the idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. And there is not breath in their mouth. And he goes on to say, those who create them will be like them. And so will those who put their trust in them. Is this kind of breaking your box of what worship might be? I hope so. Kind of breaking our box of what what we need to be doing with this book? I hope so. Those who make them will become like them. So do all who put their trust in them. We become like what we worship. We also see that in in the beautiful side where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He sees God face to face. Well, he sees God face to face down here. But then he goes up there and apparently there's another expression of God. The glory of God passing by and he only gets to see the tail end of that. He comes back down and his face is just bright and shining. He's freaking people out. They have to put a veil over his face. It says in Exodus because he's freaking people out. Because he, he beheld God in such a way that he started becoming more like God. He started hosting a portion of God's glory on himself and he started carrying that into the world. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul's talking about how that same instance was actually, he, Paul goes, they were actually putting a veil over his face because the glory was dwindling. 
Because he, he came down from the mountain and he was no longer beholding the glory. But then Paul says, we have a greater reality because we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ and because like Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the fullness of the glory of God. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image and likeness. We become like what we worship. It says from glory to glory. It means that the transformation process continues to grow from one degree to the next degree as he does this work on our life and starts moving in us and through us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that Paul's inviting us into. Say stories conform us. John Maxwell says, everyone loves a good story. We always have. Stories tell us who we are. They inspire us, connect with us, animate our reasoning process, give us permission to act, fire our emotions, give us pictures of who we aspire to be. And then he says, stories are us. Perhaps most importantly, stories do much to paint the longings of our life, like I was saying earlier. We enter into stories, we take their narratives on as our own, and then mostly in the way of our longings and deep desires, but then it might be better said that stories actually enter into us. We give them residence within our heart and they start to shape our desires. And I I just have a a few minutes and I want to share a story from my own life uh, just to kind of illustrate this, so I'm going to read this, this story off to you guys that I think really gives a beautiful picture of how malformed I was based off of a specific story earlier in my life. Growing up, I saw this in the nth degree. My life changed the moment I laid my eyes on the 2001 blockbuster hit, Fast and the Furious. At the formative age of just 14, my scrawny teenage frame was being pulled into the plotline of rebellious adventure with furious action and fast cars. The story had enraptured me. It became all I thought about. I could quote the entire movie by the end of the year. It's no joke. I got part of it still memorized. I'm trying to just get that out of there. Anyway, I, I said in my like youth, I was like, oh, I'm a genius. I set the, the A and B point on my DVD player to just loop the movie all the time. So while my TV was off, the movie was still playing. And I could just turn the TV on and come back in at some point in the movie. I thought it was the coolest thing. But then I ended up burning through one of the DVDs because <laughs> it got so hot and I had to buy another one. As I stepped into my first official job the following year, I had already determined where my money would go. I had a working list of vehicles that I longed for, an even greater list of high-performance parts that I would swap out under the hood. I had my goal in mind, and everything I did in the years to come was in pursuit of grabbing hold of the prize. My studies moved towards the direction of that goal. I took on small engine classes in high school and eventually moved to tech school for automotive. In the meantime, more renditions of the story had since hit the theaters, and the narrative had expanded, and so my goal intensified. By this point, I was living out part of the dream, driving at excessive speeds, meeting up with others who had caught the vision, and we raced down the dark and hopefully hidden back streets of the city. 
Laws were more of a suggestion for us, and thus we became quite familiar with the local authorities. Speeding tickets were a badge of honor, and even better, outrunning the 5-0 was cause for great admiration. I was no longer watching the story. I was now living it, and boy, did it feel like the life. Lots of. Fast forward nine years to a frigid October evening. The cold steel is cutting into my wrist as I'm cramped into the caged back seat of an unmarked SUV. Red and blue lights are illuminating the reality of my surroundings, piercing into my own storyline as the narrative that I had bought into so long ago was paying out its wages. I hope what you're seeing is the story that we give residence in our heart directs our life. The story that I buy into shapes my desires and then sends me off in a certain trajectory. The narrative that you think through is a very important aspect in the formation of our life. Say, stories can form us. We need to learn to observe our narratives and the Holy Spirit will partner with us in helping us do so. And the most effective way to challenge our false narratives is to get drawn up into the narrative of Scripture, the Christ narrative. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here it is, the opening sequence of the greatest story ever told. Not only was it told, it's still being told and for whatever will be told for the rest of eternity. And yet we still fall short of the magnitude here because it's not simply a story to be told, but it's a story to be stepped into, to be lived out, and even more so is stepping into us. Exactly. It was in motion before us and will truly be the only one that continues ever after. The story is too expansive to be captured on the big screen, yet humble enough to invite us into its pages. It's packed with romance, action, adventure, grief, and humor. It's the epic of all epics. Marvel's heroes pale in comparison to the many characters laid forth in the pages of this ultimate chronicle. And Morgan Freeman's narration could add nothing to the splendor and majesty on display here. In the true light of this drama, all other stories are but a mere imitation, dimly lit reflections, grasping in the wrong direction, trying to make sense of a plot line higher than our understanding. When we realize the importance of narrative and storytelling, I truly believe that we start to get a revitalized image of what scripture has to offer to us. It's not just the word of God to search out the answers to the things that we're going to, although it is that. It's also the story in which we are being invited into to live out, to take on as our own. The Christ story, the gospel story, the redemption story, and everything in that is pointing us back to Christ and to know him, to be like him. And when we find ourselves in that story, the things that we're learning in the mind start to have a place to start to move out and work on and operate in because we're moving in the right direction. 
If I buy into the, the worldly narrative, which I'll say, Pastor Dwayne last month did a, a message on worldviews on Sunday mornings, and it was absolutely incredible, and that's much of what I am also talking about here. This is kind of hopefully to be a counterformative uh, message towards all the things that culture is trying to have us buy into, and Pastor did an amazing, amazing message on breaking down some of the most popular worldviews right now. Right? Individualism, materialism, consumerism, humanism, all these different aspects that are just underlying currents within the things that we're seeing on social media. I won't say politics. Within conversations with others. <laughs> I didn't say it. But all these different aspects have narratives that they're trying to pull us into. And unless it's the gospel narrative, it's not a narrative that we should be giving place in our heart to. And we need to learn how to stop things and pause them. It's not bad to watch. Emily and I were sitting down last night. We were watching Netflix. It's amazing. There's awesome shows on there. But we need to pause things and go, what is this trying to do on the inside of me? I'm not saying just give up watching everything and become a monk, you know, but... Wouldn't hurt these days. <laughs> Since the beginning, God was weaving a story that is greater than us all, yet involves each one of us. The gospel is the story of our purpose. A couple things that I'll, I'll share, and I, my time is running way faster. Um, one thing that I don't have time to break down, but just something that I wanted to, uh, to leave you with and sit on, but a great litmus test for determining which story we have bought into is to observe where we put our time, our energy, and our resources. These are the things that comprise our life, and the places that we're putting them means I've bought into that story. I've bought into that narrative. I am moving in that direction because I'm investing my life into that place. The last thing I want to leave you with before we close out is five habits to help the story of Christ shape our desires. So when we think of uh, being a human, a living human means that I am living out a story. To be put on earth within a specific time frame, to be point A, you know, August 20th, 1987 for me, to point B, 120 years from there, right? It's the promise. I'm going for it. <laughs> I need to start living like I'm going for it, though. Um, but for, for being in two points of time, it means that my life is a narrative. My life is a story. And that also means that the moments within this, again, aren't neutral. They're actually building towards something. Which means that the habits that I have in my life, the daily rhythms that I have in my life, the things that I'm doing on a consistent basis are either pointing me towards God's narrative or pointing me towards another narrative. So five things to help the story of Christ shape our desires. One is daily reading of scripture. We can't live into a story that we're unfamiliar with. So going into the pages, I suggest that you start into the Gospels and just start seeing everything in Scripture points to that place. But as you start to see just the story of Christ, you will find that the Savior will enrapture your heart and start painting the longings and the desires of your heart. 
I would also say that I would suggest more than just a verse or two a day. If you picture taking like a two-hour movie, and then you take uh, a, a random 50-second clip here and there every day for the next, and it's all random throughout the whole thing, by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're going to be like, what was all that about? <laughs> You watch through the movie to understand the story. So we need to go into scripture uh, and be intentional, right? Five to ten chapters a day. Five chapters for the average reader is about 30 minutes. Ten chapters is about an hour. Uh, If you do ten chapters, you'll make it through scripture three times in a year. If you do five chapters, you'll make it through at least twice. And it goes, 30 minutes that I'm normally given towards Netflix, is it worth getting into Scripture to be able to go through the narrative of Scripture twice in a year? It's just a question that I'm inviting you into. Second is daily meditation. It's not simply enough to just read it. We need to step into it. And meditation starts activating the imagination of our heart. And I start reading through the gospel accounts, and I I did this a couple weeks ago with blind Bartimaeus, and and I said, what would it look like to be in that position, closing my eyes, going, I'm blind Bartimaeus. And as I opened my eyes, literally in prayer, I just had this picture that the first thing blind Bartimaeus seen was his Savior. And as I stepped into that, and as it started stepping into me, I just had... Tears welling up inside of me because desires were shifting. And I go, oh, my Lord, what a savior, what a healer, what an amazing man, Jesus. And I start to experience scripture in a completely different way because it starts experiencing me. Daily meditation, Joshua 1.8, we talk about it all the time. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. I think it's very interesting. So like I said, I've been going through scripture. I was reading Joshua the other day. So interesting that this is right at the beginning of Joshua. It's that the Lord says, Joshua, meditate on, on the book of the law, right? The book of the law there is the Torah, meaning the five books from the, the uh, Old Testament, first five books. And it's so interesting because most of that book is Moses' story of him leading Israel. And you get so much of the story of Moses. And I was reading through Joshua just going, oh my word, Joshua's meditating on God's story with Moses in Israel. And all of a sudden I'm reading through Joshua seeing where God was doing much of the same thing in his story. Right? The Red Sea parting, Joshua parts the the, uh, Jordan River. God made them both great in the eyes of the people. Scripture specifically says that. Both experienced angelic messengers from the Lord. Both sent spies into the area of the promised land. Both were referred to as a servant of the Lord. Both gave a final sermon before going to their death, knowing that they were going to die. So interesting that meditating on the story actually became the story of Joshua's life. Next is daily prayer. Nothing makes you come alive into a story than interacting with the author and perfecter of that story. I said it at the beginning that we have literally the creator of heavens and earth. Sometimes I just like to break my mind by thinking about how many stars and galaxies and different things there are out there. And then my brain starts hurting. And at that point I go, yes, God, I want to partner with you. You made that. That broke my brain. Next is service to others. 
This isn't just a story of you and Jesus. In fact, that, that's found in the individual, individualism and individualistic worldview that, that is being talked about. But this isn't just a story between you and Jesus. This includes the entire body of Christ. It includes your enemies, actually. <laughs> it includes the, the neighbor that isn't quite a, a convenience to be able to serve. And, and serving others is actually putting aside all the other narratives that we have bought into, and it's actually counterformative to the things that the world's trying to form us with. When I lay my life down for another, it's actually bringing me further into the story, and I start to relate with Christ in a completely different way. Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. And it's so, so crucial. And then the last one is to learn to observe the narratives happening around us. Do not be ignorant to Satan's devices. Get into the habit of asking, what is the movie or advertisement trying to do to my desires? What story is this trying to paint for my heart? And then bringing ourselves back to the, the gospel, right? Where Paul says in Romans 12, or oh, it was actually in my notes up here. Romans says the, the gospel of Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. And it's so, so beautiful that when we remove ourselves from the other uh, narratives, the false gospels we can call them because they're trying to paint a picture of good news, and we bring ourselves to the narrative of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, it's the power of God unto salvation in our life. So like I mentioned earlier, worship is far more habitual than we realize. So building these rhythms in daily disciplines into my habits of worship gets me oriented towards the story of Christ, gets me focused on what God is doing in the moment, not what I'm desiring for the moment. And then my desires start to get shaped by his desires and I start to be just swept up into a larger narrative than myself. And it's so, so beautiful. And I hope that you will take this, and like I said at the beginning, is I just, my entire intention here is to send you back into Scripture, to be able to be swept up by Scripture, to then find Scripture on the, the depths of your heart. Go ahead and close your eyes. David, if you have time to, uh, to come up, you can. Otherwise, we could just put some soft music on. With all this talk about stories, it's also important to realize that the story is just a means to an end. The end is the eternal relationship with Christ. And without that end, this story would be yet another story that leaves us lifeless and void. But praise the Lord, we have a Savior. One who went to the cross for us, for a relationship with us. John 17, 3 says, This is everlasting life, that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you haven't received Christ as Lord and Savior, then today is your day. His story is intersecting with your story right now and you have the most important decision of your life to make. Are you going to continue heading down the direction you've been heading which leads to death? Or are you going to give up your story that you've bought into for his to experience eternal life from this day forward? 
This is your decision. He already made his on the cross 2,000 years ago when he chose you. So if you would, whether you prayed this prayer a thousand times or whether this is your first time, would you pray this with us and say, Jesus, I believe you you died on the cross. I believe your blood paid for my sins. And I believe you rose again. I give you all of my heart and I want to step into your story and give you all of my life. I'm going to live for you every day. I thank you that you've given me forgiveness and washed my sinful past away. I partner with you today and forevermore. Do the work in me that only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.